each one of our voices are so, so powerful and have something to contribute to this world, to this negotiating table and, and, and to our communities. Welcome to Renew Our World podcast. Renew Our World is a global movement of Christians who believe in helping one another, calling for justice and caring for creation. Join us this season as we'll be discussing the latest in climate news, chatting with theologians, activists, and some of our incredible members and friends working on the ground. I am your host, Jessica Wally. Hi everyone, welcome to this episode of the Renew Award podcast. So introducing what we're talking about this day, for those that have been following our recent episodes, uh, we had a conversation on uh, the Intergovernmental Negotiating Committee on uh, Plastic Pollution. Today we'll be looking at that session, how it went, that was the second session of uh, the Intergovernmental Negotiating Committee. Uh, that was held in Paris. And not only that, but this episode is a bilingual episode. We'll have some Spanish and Portuguese in it uh, as we go on. Today, having this conversation, I have a co-host who happens to be Hannah. Hannah was one of the people that attended uh, these plastic treaty negotiations that happened in Paris. She was uh, together with a few colleagues from Tier Fund, and she had an opportunity to speak to uh, amazing young activists from uh, Latin America that are doing really so much in the space of activism. And this is in preparation to the third session of uh, the plastic treaty negotiations that will be happening in a few days, and uh, these will take place in Nairobi, Kenya which I will be attending. So before I even go further, I'm just going to bring in Hannah to just really explain to us about uh, how the negotiations went and also just to be able to introduce the two activists that uh, she spoke to. And also I should make mention that uh, these conversations happened on site right there in Paris. So uh, you may be able to hear a little bit of noise here and there uh, because the recording was done there right at the negotiations in Paris. So Hannah, welcome to... Today I'm not going to welcome you as a guest. I'm welcoming you as a co-host. So welcome, Hannah, to today's uh, special episode of uh, Renew Award podcast. So Hannah will be able to just take it up from here and uh, share with us everything that went on there. Thanks so much, Jessica. I am so excited to bring you the voices of two activists from Latin America um, and just share with you their thoughts on the treaty process from them talking about the issues of plastic pollution that they're seeing at home and, and how it's um, kind of specific to their their contexts, um, but also them thinking about what they want to see from a treaty and how the treaty can address the issues that they're seeing. But I'm also just wanting to demystify the whole treaty process as well. I'm conscious that for those who aren't necessarily present um, on the ground at these negotiations, what happens there can feel a little bit abstract, a little bit distant, um, and it feels as though maybe things are behind a closed curtain or behind a closed door. Um, and so really just wanting to bring awareness of the kind of things that happen at this, um, at these kind of events and how people can get involved. Um, 
but also kind of highlighting that the issues that take place at these events aren't necessarily unique. I think there are activities that can be done in various contexts around the world. And so hoping to be able to inspire you as listeners um, to think about how you can actually tackle the issues of plastic pollution where you are um, and give you some practical ways that you could probably do that. So as Jessica's already mentioned, um, this format for today is a little bit different. Um, We will be having three languages. We'll be having English, Portuguese and Spanish. So there'll be my um, kind of narration in English. um, And then I will also insert clips from the interviews that I conducted in Spanish and in Portuguese. And we're doing this, I guess, to be more inclusive. We are conscious that not all of our listeners speak English as a first language um, and so just wanting to decentralise English from our conversations and from our podcasts and kind of opening it up to other languages as well Um, but also just really conscious that sometimes when we translate things the full meaning doesn't necessarily always translate across there may be things that we can understand from the pace that somebody's speaking or with the volume or the kind of tone and intonation that they're speaking in or sometimes there are just words that um, don't necessarily translate across well and so just wanting to present these activists um, as their full selves being able to express themselves in a way that feels comfortable to them um, and also in a way that is comfortable for our listeners as well so what you'll hear is that um, I have explained what the activists are saying before and after their clips. Um, So I've explained that in English, but I haven't translated word for word. So you'll find that there is still some richness remaining in the Spanish and the Portuguese clips. So for those who do speak those languages, um, please don't feel as though you'll just be listening to the same thing twice. Um, I've left a few extra nuggets in there. And for those who only speak English, I'm hoping that I've been able to provide enough narration for you to kind of follow along with the story and what the activists are saying. So with that, I would love to jump in and introduce you to two activists that I met in Paris. Firstly, we have Clara, who is 24 and from Brazil, and she works on a variety of campaigns around environmental governance, and she also monitors science policy. Olá, meu nome é Clara e uma introdução breve sobre mim. Eu sou originalmente do Brasil, tenho 24 anos, mas já vivo na Europa há dois anos. Eu trabalho com diferentes campanhas relacionadas à governança ambiental, desde movimentos artísticos até políticos. E o que me traz aqui as negociações de plástico é que eu sou a facilitadora temática de Science Policy, da constituinte de jovens da, da UNEP. So as a policy analyst, she means that she monitors where countries stand in terms of the signs of hope that they'll outlaw plastic pollution in the near future. It is really, really exciting work. And for Clara, it was important to be at the negotiations because she wanted to contribute the unique perspective that she brings. And also as part of the global south. Even among the jovens who are here, not all tem uma perspectiva, no meu caso, da América Latina. Um, então, é uma perspectiva diferente que a gente traz para as discussões, mesmo dentro dos grupos de jovens. 
Next, I'm privileged to introduce you to Marisol, who is from Peru, and she leads an organisation called Life Out of Plastic, which you'll hear she sometimes shortens to loop. And the organization advocates on plastic pollution and the impact that it has on the marine ecosystem. Hola, yo soy Marisol Naveda, eh, estoy aquí en París, en la UNESCO, participando en, en INC2 eh, sobre el Tratado Global de Plástico. Eh, yo trabajo en una organización llamada Life Out of Plastic, en la cual nos enfocamos en poder combatir la contaminación plástica y también eh, al mismo tiempo generar conciencia en las personas de cómo afecta la contaminación en el ecosistema marino. Now, as the chief executive of Life Out of Plastic, it was probably really important for her to be at the negotiations. But really, she was passionate about the inclusion of youth and how the treaty could be applied to the plastic situation in Peru. Por lo que para nosotros desde Loop llevamos aproximadamente 10 años impulsando el tema de la contaminación plástica en el Perú en cómo afecta a, a las playas en Lima, cómo afecta a la biodiversidad eh, y por eso es de que ese evento es muy importante para poder eh, llevar la voz también de Perú, los jóvenes eh, que trabajamos en temas de contaminación plástica eh, para que también se puedan incluir leyes en las cuales nuestro país tenga la capacidad de adoptar and as I was introduced to both of these activists, it was so, so interesting to hear their passions. And so for Clara, hearing her passion about sharing knowledge and her celebration of her unique perspective, both as a young person and as a person from Latin America. And I think there's just something really special about just being ourselves and adding our perspectives to the process. Like that's the whole reason that we fight to be in these rooms, to make sure that it's representative and that all of our voices are present. And both of them mentioned the need to bring attention to the issues that are present in their country specifically. And I've kind of noticed that sometimes negotiators are primarily focused on the issues that affect their own countries the most. And so we kind of spend these negotiations trying to get them to see things from several points of view and build policies and agreements that work for the people that need it the most. And really, often policymakers are open to hearing a variety of perspectives and thinking about how it connects to or interacts with their own interests but I, I think the reality is that if policymakers don't know that there is an issue in the first place then they just can't include it and the reality is also that countries around the world aren't exactly the same in the way that the plastics crisis is affecting their countries there may be common issues but there are also really important distinctives and so it's probably not surprising at all that there was just such a huge diversity of perspectives from the young activists that were present at the event and what they were sharing in terms of what was happening at home. For example, Clara was telling me that when she goes swimming in the sea in Rio de Janeiro, she's surrounded by plastic and it's really, really clear to her that plastic is affecting the city's biodiversity as well as its people. Os problemas relacionados à poluição de plástico que me afetam mais, é, no meu caso, eu, eu venho do Rio de Janeiro, então me dá uma tristeza muito grande se eu estou mergulhando no mar rodeada por plásticos. É uma coisa que, assim, de um, de um ponto de vista egoísta, eu diria, por mim, é, é uma cidade tão bonita e me dá uma tristeza muito grande it's an issue that she's clearly passionate about and honestly she seemed frustrated about the little progress that's being made 
And she hopes that these negotiations will produce a binding treaty that is ambitious and eradicates plastic pollution in the very near future. After all, she says that we actually have the technology available now to make it happen. Então, eu espero que os governos, como como esse tratado, a ideia é que ele seja vinculativo. Eu espero que eles não não se limitem a a pequenas ações. Eu quero eu quero ver a poluição de plástico realmente banida em um futuro próximo e não que seja daqui a 40, 50 anos, porque eu sei que a gente tem a tecnologia, eu sei que a gente tem a força e a inteligência para conseguir fazer isso num futuro bem próximo, então só é necessário vontade e ação política. There are also negative effects on marine life and biodiversity in Peru, but Marisol also mentioned that the government of Peru passed a law to address plastic pollution. This law placed a ban on single-use plastics, and that was back in 2019. But four years on, Marisol thinks that there is still a need for more education to facilitate behaviour change and improve recycling. A pesar que tenemos una ley, es muy difícil que podamos educar a todas las personas. When I was speaking to Marisol, it is so clear that she's so, so passionate about ensuring that the treaty makes a difference and addresses the issues that are seen in Peru. For her, the plastic treaty needs to complement the law that the government passed on banning plastic pollution, rather than making it more difficult for that law to be effective. And that's really, really important because there is still so much work to be done. And the treaty can be a really big factor in ensuring that there is effective action taken in the short term. Por eso que es muy importante que nosotros podamos saber que las decisiones que se tomen hoy realmente puedan ser implementadas en Perú. Y de esta manera, a un corto plazo, en los dos años, poder saber de que, por ejemplo, tenemos leyes para combatir el microplástico. Eh, por ejemplo, los productos de aseo personal, o que realmente es un gran problema no solo para el mundo, sino también para nuestro país, que realmente no hemos todavía tomado acción sobre cómo el microplástico afecta a la vida marina. Marisol also wanted to draw our attention to microplastics. It's a big issue because they harm marine life and humans. And she also mentioned that plastics affects the human rights of people working in the waste sector and that. For her, it's important that the treaty addresses this issue too. Humanos, es muy importante también conocer cómo el plástico afecta los derechos humanos de las personas y de todos los que trabajan alrededor de estos residuos. So these are just some of the issues that were floating around in the discussion spaces at the negotiations. But as you can probably imagine, there were just so many more than this. So maybe you're thinking, how do we actually get this into one treaty and into a document that everybody agrees? So the way that the negotiations worked at INC2 is that all of the negotiators were presented with a list of things that they could include in the treaty. They call it an options paper, it's online, you can take a look. Um, And in the meetings themselves, they each took a turn and shared what they wanted to be included and why they thought it would be important. And so like I said earlier, If there's no one in the room to talk about the issues that are affecting people in poverty, for example, it just won't be included. And that's really, really important and also a really great opportunity because it means that every person from every country, every city, every community 
has a space in these political processes. It doesn't necessarily mean that they have to be at the summit. It's great to get as many of, um, as many people from civil society there as possible. But for those who can't necessarily travel, the process starts before these negotiation events and it also continues after the events. And so there's lots of room for people to engage um, in their, their home country. What I loved about these young activists is that they didn't assume that all of their perspectives were accounted for by the negotiators. But during the week, they were taking initiative and they were being proactive to ensure that their voices were heard in as many spaces as possible. So this brings me to a highlight of the conference, and that is that we organised a stunt outside the UNESCO building, which is where the negotiations were taking place. And by stunt, I'm referring to kind of a creative action that is used to draw attention to a particular issue or message. And this stunt was highlighting research that was released by Tear Fund in collaboration with an organisation called Resource Future. And they published research in May of this year, so just a few weeks before the negotiations, which found out that over 200 million people are at significant risk of more severe and frequent flooding due to plastic pollution. Uh, uh, a huge number, a very um, kind of sobering statistic. And it was so important for Tierfund to ensure that the policymakers knew about this evidence so that it would shape their decisions towards building a treaty um, that would address the issues that were being experienced by people living in poverty. So to make it happen, we gathered some young activists, primarily from the Global South, and we gave them lifeguard costumes um, that they put on and the group together stood outside the building and got ready to shout. Clara and Marisol were a part of the crowd along with some other young activists. There were also some members of civil society who were attending the event um, and there were also some waste pickers. And if you're really interested, you can find the pictures from the stunt on the Renew Our World Instagram page. I'll see if we can link um, the post in the description. And if you look closely, you'll see that Clara was standing at the front of the crowd. And so I'm going to hand over to her to tell us a little bit more about it. Um, in frente ao Nesco, a gente se vestiu de salva-vidas e a gente estava cantando e com apitos e fazendo barulho. E, e como eu eu estava na frente segurando a placa e, e puxando o canto, é, de certa forma, dá uma sensação de força e poder muito grande se sentir num grupo que está ali literalmente gritando junto com você pelas mesmas causas. So we picked a strategic time to perform and that was kind of just before the negotiation session opened in the morning. And we picked that time because we knew that delegates would definitely be entering the building and would have to pass us along the way. And it was absolutely incredible. It was such a great moment. Delegates were stopping and taking photos as they passed. And the images gained media attention in the UK and around the world through BBC World Service. E o que eu mais gosto, na verdade, de protestos é de olhar bem no olho das pessoas, sabe? Que estão, que no caso, elas estavam entrando na Unesco logo antes de, um dia, de mais um dia de negociações. Então, é, é literalmente 
colocando uma pressão neles para que eles se sintam é, se sintam responsáveis por aquilo, não é? Speaking with Clara, the interviews started getting a little intense, but what Clara is saying is so true. These performances are a moment to, as she says, look people straight in the eyes, to put pressure on them with a physical presence. And with stunts like this, young activists can stand out in a crowded messaging space and make sure that policymakers are aware of the issues that matter. Então você tá logo ali na frente da porta de trabalho deles e, e gritando por uma causa que é muito válida é, traz uma traz uma, uma relevância para todo para todo o movimento então eu me senti um pouco mais esperançosa e e colocando a raiva em ação eu acho that last sentence there that Clara said is again so so powerful she said I felt a bit more hopeful transforming my rage into action And that's really key because I think sometimes we can become frozen and inactive out of fear or overwhelm. The emotions kind of build up in our bodies. We feel it in the inertia in our arms or the anxiety in our stomachs or even maybe the frustration in our throats when we don't know what to say. But Clara has highlighted why participation is so important for us personally as well as for the democratic process. The reality is that we must channel our frustration somewhere But the opportunity is that, importantly, we can channel our frustration somewhere. And I was thinking about this through a faith lens and kind of thinking about Christ who was moved by compassion to perform the miracles that he did. And in the same way, we can also be moved by our frustrations to take action. And maybe that looks like protest, but that isn't necessarily always easy or possible for all of us. Um, and so maybe it looks like getting involved with innovating solutions or maybe writing or making films to articulate the crisis of our times and to help other people see what we see and I guess however we choose to channel it's just important that we we channel Moving on to the second great highlight, there was a moment when the young activists hosted a gathering of EU policymakers. There was a group there called the Global Youth Coalition on Plastic Pollution, and they um, kind of are there alongside other interest groups. Um, like there is a UN group for youth and children, um, and essentially they, they, as a coalition, they pull together um, all of these different youth groups. And it's at the coalition or through the coalition that I met Clara and Marisol. And over the course of the negotiations, this coalition would meet together and strategize how they were going to influence the government. And one of the, one of the key outputs was a position paper that they developed, which is essentially kind of a document that can be distributed to be able to articulate and communicate their thoughts and their positions. And it's a means of persuading the policymakers at the conference. Partway through the week though, they decided to host an informal event with policymakers from EU countries. And I think this was actually partially in response to them feeling that they didn't have enough access to decision makers. So for example, in the mornings when the EU governments would come together to kind of compile their joint decisions. I don't think that the EU youth representatives were able to join those meetings. Um, and so I think this kind of gathering was in response to that a little bit. But I do think there was also just this sense of wanting to broadcast their voices widely 
as possible. So they pulled together a digital invitation and sent it around to as many governments and delegates as they could. They booked a room in the basement of the UNESCO building. And I remember it was a wooden room. There were kind of seats in your traditional kind of semicircle type shape and each had a microphone, kind of UN style. It was very official. Um, And in that room, they presented their position paper. And when they were done, they opened out for questions from the room, um, but also gave the opportunity for young people to be able to ask questions of policymakers in the room. And this was really important because it gave a moment for young people to hold the um, policymakers to account. But the bit that I found really magical was the moment when the policymakers turned around and asked the young people questions. Um, and asked them for their advice. And in particular, there was a policymaker who asked whether anyone had advice or information and what should be included in the treaty text to achieve a just transition for waste pickers. Now, this topic and issue of ensuring a just transition for waste pickers was a really, really hot topic at the um, at the negotiations. And it's, again, an area that's kind of just being developed that there isn't necessarily template for before. Um, But to me, this moment just shows the value of young people being included in the political process. It's not just for show, young people aren't just there for brownie points. Um, The reality is that no one really knows what they're doing. And by that, I mean that the plastic street is a unique moment in time. Let's be real, the plastic boom has only really occurred over the last 70, 80 years or so. And the crisis that we find ourselves in, we haven't seen before. And so everybody, policymakers included, are just trying to do their best. Um, And young people too have not seen this before and are just trying to do their best. But I think what is really special about young people is that they have been even closer to pioneering the solutions than I think some policymakers have been. And so they have so much to offer. They have expertise to offer. They have vision to offer. Um, And it's really, really great that they're there. And I think one other thing to add about this moment is that while this event was hosted for European delegates, it could have happened with any of the regions. Um, It could have been the case that a young person from the African continent pulled together African countries and the same for Latin America or Asia and the Pacific. Um, And so it's just a snippet of, of what could be possible and what could be done. So these are just two marked moments that I saw young people flying as they sought to influence decision makers. Um, And again, these are just two moments. And throughout the week, they were constantly booking meetings with decision makers and civil society organisations. We, as TFM2, got lobbied, the young people um, booked in a meeting with me and kind of asked what my positions were. And it was actually really, really... I don't really use the word inspiring. It um, raised my game, maybe, was the word, is the word. They kind of raised the bar and, and, and challenged my perspectives on what a world without plastic could look like. Um, and we exchanged positions, etc. And it was really, really productive. But I think generally there is um, a need for there to be more access for young people to 
not just decision makers and, and meetings, but for decision makers to carry their voices with weight and for them to be willing to allow their voices to influence their, their policy positions. And I guess when I was there and, and kind of following the the event, I was wondering why sometimes it's difficult for young people to, to gain access or why there is this generational divide. And I don't know, I guess sometimes people see young people as being too idealistic, maybe. I don't know. Um, but for me, I think young people carry prophetic vision. I think they have this strong intuition of what the world should look like. Um, and I think they are often able to do that before the weariness and heaviness of life kind of causes them to lose hope, which, dare I say, sometimes happens to adults over the years. But this fresh perspective can be really sharply different to that of decision makers. And I think it's this contrast sometimes that holds decision makers to account. It forces them to see that actually their perspective may not be the top line and that they can push further. And I think that desire or or that space to push further can sometimes be uncomfortable. But that vision, that young vision is so important because it enables young people and us to innovate and to build initiatives and projects because I guess the reality is that what we believe is possible is what we work towards and I think that's why young people are so important to these processes. They set a really high bar that I think creates space for real transformation. It allows for a complete um, change transformation of of what currently is into something that we don't actually recognize but that we actually need and so I hope I've given you a couple of reasons why engaging with the negotiations is so so exciting and also what it can look like from the inside and to be honest I say inside but the stunt was done outside the building which isn't inside (laughs) and any group could organize that which I don't know I'm just I'm just giving a small small hint for anybody who is interested in engaging with the remainder of the process. So Jessica, I know you've kind of been there in the background listening quietly, um, but I'd love to chat with you more about what's next for youth engagement in the negotiation process. Thank you, Hannah. And uh, just so excited with all the works that you're doing and also just specifically that you had uh, this amazing moment to speak to some of the young people, knowing so that there's a lot of young people out there that are doing so much. So just very, very excited and uh, happy that you had that opportunity to just bring this to light to each one of us, especially us that were not on the ground. Uh, you literally just brought us in on what was happening there. So grateful for that. So yeah, I feel young people, there's just a whole lot of things that we can do to just be a part of uh, these conversations because at the end of the day, really, first of all, we may not be at the negotiations themselves, like uh, right there um, where uh, negotiations are happening, but I feel we can also contribute uh, even just doing few things practical, few practical things from from wherever we are uh, that could be uh, literally just engaging with our communities, with our churches, uh, with our government, 
and just uh, letting them know the things that could uh, help our communities, you know, as as young people as well, and also what we can do as young people to make sure that we we protect our environment and also we get to push uh, for having a legally binding, uh, you know, uh, treaty that will 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 be able to uh, protect and uh, serve every person regardless wherever they are and just like you've mentioned uh, Hannah you attended the uh, second um, session of these uh, talks uh, and coming up in just a few weeks a few days actually not weeks actually just a few days from the 13th of November on until the 19th of November uh, the third session of these conversations, these talks, these uh, uh, negotiations will be happening in Nairobi, that's in Kenya. We are expecting to have a lot of negotiators that will be there to just try and, you know, pick up from the second uh, session that happened in Paris to pick up from where they they ended from and also to just uh, uh, see the way forward. So I, I'm excited that I'll be attending that and hopefully we'll be able to bring out some good uh, news. Uh, hopefully we'll have some good outcomes after these talks happen. Hannah, from your end, how you think young people can get to uh, just connect now, even as these negotiations will be happening, they may not be there, but even just from wherever they they will be uh, following the negotiations from. Yeah, there are loads of different ways, actually. Um, I think, like you say, even if people aren't necessarily in Nairobi, there are ways to connect. So um, usually the first and the last days of the negotiations are streamed online. And so if you go onto the website, which I'll try and post in the description, um, you should be able to find a live link. They're kind of like plenary days um, where they do introductions, et cetera. Um, but it kind of gives you a sense, especially at the beginning of what is going to come up. And then at the end, actually what, well, what has happened, what has been agreed. Um, and then importantly, some of the intercessional work that they've um, agreed to. So they are, those two are really, really interesting to maybe even feel as though you're in Nairobi, even if you're not in yeah. Nairobi. And along with that, I would also say just kind of reading some of the papers. So on that same website, um, you will see what is now the zero draft. So um, in the last podcast, when we were talking about INCT, we mentioned um, that after the last INC, they went away and kind of pulled everybody's thoughts and opinions into this first draft of what a treaty could look like is definitely not finalised and there are still lots of different options that the negotiators still need to pick from but it mm. is just really interesting to kind of see the journey and to see how well one how the treaty is taking form but two some of the issues that still need to be kind of ironed out and what some of the important kind of campaigning points are um, to make sure that we get get a treaty that works for for those living in poverty and and for the environment and and our um, ecosystems etc um so checking out that paper would be really really interesting in terms of being in nairobi and to be, to be to be honest actually even if you aren't in nairobi it's still worth connecting with the youth mm. major group um or the youth global coalition which i mentioned earlier on in the podcast again i can kind of link the website in the description um connect with them so throughout the week 
they meet together and they at least they did in Paris they tended to do hybrid meetings where they would inviting people who couldn't be in the city um, and then they would meet in the room as well um, and they would be kind of be discussing positions arranging who was setting up meetings and I guess kind of pulling together as you would expect from a coalition to be able to influence regional blocks um, as as necessary and as they saw fit so um, they would definitely be a really good group of young people to connect with wherever you are. Another thing that's happening actually on the 11th of November if you are in Nairobi there's a coalition called Break Free from Plastics. They will be holding a march and of course it is open for the general public and they're also actually providing a shuttle bus for people in various areas around Nairobi to be able to get to the um the march route so again one more link for me to post in the um in the chat but it's break free from plastics they have a website with all of the information so definitely check them out um after the negotiations is also a really important moment they are the times when extra work on the treaty is being done when um extra positions are being formed relationships are being built people are still being informed and so still see that time before and after these upcoming negotiations to engage with policymakers, whether that is sending a letter or an email to a local representative or to your national government um, and letting them know what's happening around you and in your community and how people are being affected by plastic, but also kind of asking them what they are doing and what their positions are um, and really working hard to make sure that um, they are equipped and armed with the right, I want to say information, that's not the word I'm looking for, evidence is the word that I'm looking for to be able to to inform and shape the treaty well and also when you're thinking about the issues I would just encourage people to think intersectionally and so when you are kind of writing to representatives making sure that you are um, also kind of thinking about and engaging with waste picker organisations thinking about kind of the role of healthcare and people with disabilities and and how this changing world around plastics will impact them as well so yeah, I hope there are a few examples of things both at the negotiations and outside of it. Do you, do you have anything to add, Jessica? I feel like you've said all, oh, Hannah. Like, <laughs> like everything that you've mentioned is like so, so helpful. And I'm, I'm sure like a lot of us uh, taking up on those tips will, will, will actually uh, make us feel like we are really being a part of uh, these negotiations, uh, simply because I think when you talk about plastic pollution, Hannah, this is a conversation or this is something that all of us worldwide are being affected by right now. So if really we don't make deliberate moves, we don't do certain things in a certain way, we will continue getting affected and also affecting not just ourselves but the environment and creation as a whole so these are really good opportunities to try and make decisions that will uh, protect uh, the environment creation and human uh, humankind uh, just for a better for a better tomorrow for a better today not even tomorrow for a better today mm -hmm. and to move forward so thank you so much hannah uh, and thank you for just bringing all this to light this is where we end our today's episode of the Renewal Award a podcast. And just before we do that, uh, I'd like to ask uh, my co-host, Hannah, to just share her concluding remarks, even as uh, we wrap up uh, this special edition of uh, the Renewal Award podcast. 
Thanks so much, Jessica. It's actually been so fun <laughs> doing this podcast and um, incorporating languages other than English. It's just so important. Um, and yeah, I hope it's been useful for listeners as well. I think reflecting back, the things that the activists said were just so powerful. Um, and it's highlighted how powerful youth voices are and how important it is for us to platform them and give them room. Um, and I think sometimes as individual people, um, it's easy to look at others and think that other people's voices are powerful or, or as though they, they maybe think differently to you or even maybe they, they think similarly to you and feel as though there's, there's no kind of room. Um, but really would like to reiterate that within each and every one of us, there is the image of God and there is a mark of, of his power and that our voices, each one of our voices are so, so powerful and have something to contribute to this world, to this negotiating table and, and, and to our communities. And so, yeah, we just encourage people to get involved, to, to raise their voices in whichever way that they can and whichever way brings them joy and contentment as well because the world needs more youth voices making noise. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Hannah. From me, Jessica Wally and Hannah Lloyd, who was my amazing, amazing co-host for today. And also on behalf of Clara and Marisol, who were the two youth activists that uh, Hannah spoke to, we would like to just say thank you so much to all of you for listening into our today's episode and uh, do your part wherever you are remember it doesn't matter where you are you can definitely make a difference uh you can uh, make a difference in the even in the little little steps uh, of things that you're doing uh that can amount to really big difference to just make this world a better place for all of us so it's bye-bye for now i hope that uh, you enjoyed this um episode of our renewal World podcast and like i mentioned we'll definitely be bringing uh, some more updates on the negotiations that will be happening uh, in a few days in Nairobi after everything is uh, done. It's bye-bye for now and God bless you. Thank you for listening to Renew Our World podcast. Be sure to visit our website at renewourworld.net and if you love this episode, subscribe and learn more about Renew Our World campaign and some of what our members and friends are doing. Until next time, remember, you are God's child, made in His image, so smile.